Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning once again, Lifehouse fam. Yeah, now look, you are one of the chosen few that decided to go to church the Sunday after Easter. Give yourselves a hand clap because normally it's one of the lowest attended Sundays of the whole year because people go to church on, you know, on Easter Sunday and they're like, I'm good. Like, Jesus, I got mine in. I celebrated your risen day, so I'm all good. So, but y'all came back the week after, so you guys are amazing. Hey, before we dive into our brand new series, though, I wanted to alert you about a couple things. First off, we just baptized 12 people out there. Let's give God praise. We're going to be baptizing more people after this service, which I'm excited about. But also, too, we are coming up to our life group season or our life group semester. When you walked in, you should have received one of these white, uh, white sheets of paper here that's got a list of the groups on them. I would appreciate if you would check a couple of those. And just, you know, and just by checking it doesn't mean you've signed up for it, but you want more information about the group. We've got about 15 groups this semester, and we've got stuff no matter where you're at in, in your journey, your stage of life. We would love for you uh, to do to, to, uh, to participate in one of the ways uh, that we see our vision happen by doing life together, by being a part of a group. So we'd love for you to take a, a look at that really, really quick. Also, too, if you are new to our church, you heard that we have Starting Point Social next Sunday. I would love for you to come and spend some time with us. If you are new here, whether it's a, a couple weeks, a, a couple uh, a couple months, whatever, we would love for you to come and chill out with us for a, a social right after first and second service for about 20 for about twenty minutes. We've, we've got some food and your child care taken care of, but we would love to spend some time with you uh, next Sunday if you want to come and do that. So, All right, are you guys ready to dive into our series? All right, so we are talking about Jesus and fill in the blank. All right, so, so we, we just concluded a series on the kingdom of God called Thy Kingdom Come, where we're taking a look at the kingdom of God. But now I felt the transition and shift to shift into this Jesus guy. All right, uh, Jesus is kind of important. Jesus, though, shows us what it was like to live perfectly and live in the kingdom of God. And Jesus spoke about a lot of things. And what I would say is if you're new to the faith, even if you're old to the faith, like we, we, we always need to be having a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. Fresh revelation. Because some of y'all have an old, crusty Jesus, okay? You have an old, crusty, spoiled, like, like old wineskin. And if you're in church, you know that language, Jesus. And, the, you know, as you, and, and, and that's why I would say it's always good as far as your Bible reading to read the gospels because the gospels are biographies of Jesus's life. And I'm telling you, the more you read them, the more you'll notice things because one of the things that happens whenever you read the Bible, you're at different places in your life. So as you read the Bible at different times, you are different. So that means if you are different, what you will read will probably look a little bit different. And so as you're reading the Bible, especially as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, you are reading about how God would act if he was a person. Because that's who Jesus was. He was Jesus, he, he was God with skin on. And, and, and so what I thought is we're going to transition into a series called Jesus And, and we're going to talk about a lot of different topics. This might take the rest of the year. <laughs> because, you know, Jesus talked about a lot 
of different things and walk through a lot of different things. And really, here is the big point. Jesus is our Savior, our Lord, but, it, but also our example. He saved us from sin. Thank God, and that's a Jesus all of y'all love. He's the get-out-of-hell-free card, right? Some of y'all don't like Jesus being Lord because that means you have to give up some stuff because if he's Lord, that means you're not, right? So some of us love Jesus being Savior but not Lord, right? Got real quiet in here. Uh, then, but also, too, this is one part we miss. He's our example. He shows us what it means to be fully human, to be fully alive as a human. And this is the side we're going to mainly dive in on is, is, is how did Jesus handle things? And the one that we're going to start off with today is Jesus and identity. Jesus and identity. Our focus scripture today is going to be Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. For context here, Jesus was about to begin his public ministry. You don't see a lot about Jesus's life from about the time he's 12, 13, up until he was 30. You know, the last thing we hear about Jesus's life, Luke chapter 2, is that Jesus became, is that Jesus grew and became strong in spirit and grew in favor with God and man. And then you don't hear a lot about his life from like 13 to 30. It's kind of his kind of like hidden years where he was serving the Lord in silence, serving the Lord when, it, when there was nobody watching him, whatever. But then when he hit 30, the typical age rabbis would begin to teach. That is when Jesus stepped on the scene and we see that one of the first things he does as he's about to be propelled into his public ministry, this is where we pick up in Matthew chapter three. It says, then Jesus, and this is written by the apostle Matthew, who was a former tax collector, which if you remember last Sunday, we know what that means, right? But he became a follower of Jesus. So then we can see, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. That is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was forecasted to be the pre-runner for Jesus. So kind of the one that would say, prepare the way Jesus is coming, right? Um, but this is, but John tried to deter him saying, uh, and this is the John Ware translation, uh, bro, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to be baptized by me. Jesus replied, look, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice, everyone say a voice. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am very well pleased. So you see this scene, Jesus is there. And isn't it interesting Jesus got baptized, especially by John, because John's baptism, Scripture tells us, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So why would Jesus get baptized if he did not need to repent because he was perfect, right? The thing is, Jesus obeyed what his father wanted him to do. He obeyed his father. And, and that's why it says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What he meant by that was, I am fulfilling every word that my father tells me to do. And though I don't need to, he is, he is asking me to do this as an example. And that is what I think it's important, is that Jesus is our example. But I need you to think about Jesus this way. Jesus was the first disciple. Jesus was the first follower of his father. And Jesus came, and I mean, just think about how many times 
in the scriptures, in the gospels, you hear Jesus. I do this because my father told me to do it. I said that because my father told me to say it. I am about my father's business. Like he was not tuned into his own agenda, what he wanted, how he wanted. He was tuned in to what his father wanted him to say and what his father wanted him to do. Jesus was following the will and the word of his father. So when Jesus asks you to follow him, he's not asking you to do anything he hasn't done. He is following his father, and as we follow Jesus, then we follow the example of God. And this is important because we have to see Jesus as not just our Savior and Lord, but as somebody that we're ultimately called to be like. And we see Jesus here as he is the example. We see that as he's beginning his ministry, the first thing Jesus does is he gets baptized, and we see his identity being reinforced by his father. Before he did one miracle, before he preached one word, before he took any fish or loaves and multiplied them, do you know what he received from his father? Affirmation, approval, affection, love. His identity was reinforced and cemented before he went to do a thing, and he got baptized. We live in a society and culture today that has an identity crisis. Can anybody else just look on the news or look on the media or look on any social media, look on anything and be like, people are losing their minds. And I don't say that critically. I, I say that with a grieving spirit and grieving heart. People are having an identity crisis. They have no idea who they are or whose they are. People are searching for and longing for, who am I? Where do I belong? Who do I belong to? Who belongs to me? And it's like all the byproducts of our world is just these people that have lost identity, and they're trying to get it. And I think it's important that we see a world that's struggling with their identity. Even if, I mean, God, isn't this true? We struggle with it in church, trying to figure who we are, you know, it's like, you know, and we see the world, we're kind of crockpot baked in this world that's telling us status, you know, success and approval, and all of these things need to define you. And it's like we hear these messaging just bombards us, and we're like, yeah, but I'm supposed to be a Christian. Well, what is, what is a Christian? I don't even know what a Christian is. You know, and it's like, it's like we're, we're, we're just confused, and there is chaos. And I find it interesting that as Jesus began his ministry, it began with his father reminding him who he was and whose he was. So I think it's important as we begin to talk about Jesus, the first thing we talk about is his identity. Jesus and identity, how it affects your identity. But I want to talk to you today first about how we get identity wrong in our culture. So this is kind of a cultural critique. We get identity wrong first off when we try to create it. How many people are trying to create their identity? So essentially what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to be a creator. You know how hard it is when the created tries to play the role of the creator? And I think there is a direct reflection with the identity crisis and the, uh, and, and the mental health crisis. There is a direct cor 
correlation with people not having any idea who they are and who's they are and why people are so anxious, why they're so stressed, why they're so worried, why they're just like literally just bombarded in their souls because they, they don't have a solid and secure foundation to build who they are on. So what do people try to do? Let me create my identity. So let me create a persona. Let me create a business. Let me create wealth. Let me create projects. Let me create people. <laughs> like, like, let me create, create, create. But it's such a weight when a created thing tries to play the part of the creator. Some people don't try to create it. Some people try to find it. So what does our world tell you? Deep down in that little good, deep down in that little you, there's a good little you somewhere. And if you just get deep down long enough in there, there's a good little you in there, Yusuf. And if you just get all the haters to the side, get that negative self-talk to the side, that good little you will start to flourish like a flower. And then that you will just come out and it'll just be beautiful. And if somebody doesn't like it, they're hateful. They're hateful, right? And, and, and it's like, this is the kind of world we live in. Look inside or look outside. Let me, let me find it. Here's the, here's, here's the thing. You got so many people looking in, looking out, but no one wants to look up. And this is, this is the point. Jesus' followers don't create their identity or find it. They receive it. Because when you go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, when God created man and women, he gave them an identity. You, you know we said we're made in the image of God. Everyone say that, image. Image. You know what image means? It means to mirror. It literally means to mirror. It literally means to, we were created to mirror God. That is our fundamental identity, made in the image of God. Therefore, intrinsic value, intrinsic worth. We were made to mirror. We were made in God's image. So you can even see in Genesis chapter 3, right? So Genesis 1 and 2, God, you know, God created the world, it's good. He put the man and the woman, I mean, God perfection. They were naked in a garden, and he said, be fruitful. What a beautiful life. Some of y'all will get that later, okay? I thought that would be funnier. <laughs> All the food they want, right? Genesis 3 comes, and Satan comes to tempt them. And you see, it's interesting what Satan tempts them with. He takes fruit, or he's got this tree. They're looking at this tree, and, and he's like, yeah, look at the tree. It'll make you wise, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it, it looks really, really good. And, and what, it, what it says is, is when Eve responds back, like, yeah, God did say we probably shouldn't eat from this tree. Satan essentially tells back to them, God didn't say, say this, but when you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. What was he getting at? He was trying to hit at their identity. They were already made in the image of God. So why is Satan saying, well, if you eat this, then you'll be like God? Like he was trying to get them, he was taking a good thing and using it to try to get them to create their identity on their own instead of living in the one that they had already received from God. 
And I say this all the time, the Bible didn't just happen, the Bible happens. The Bible is the greatest experiment of human behavior ever. You want to see how stuff happens? Get, get the Bible. Read the Bible, because it's us. We don't just read the Bible, the Bible reads us. That's what happened. So they tried to, but, but this is what Satan will do. Even when Jesus was, went into the wilderness to be temp tempted, what was the first thing Satan went after? The first temptation, he said, if you are the son of God, take that stone and make it bread. What was he trying to do? Get at his identity. Because if the enemy can get, that this rhymes, if the enemy can get to your identity, <laughs> I'm sorry, I might need Ryan Sparks to come up here and help me finish this rapping. Sorry, I'm about to bust a freestyle. The enemy can get to your identity. Then you start saying obscenities. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just you know, I'm just, I don't know. Just, I'll, that's all I'm going to do, okay? <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I grew up loving 90s hip-hop, so, you know. I have no idea where I was going with that. I was talking about Jesus and identity, and now I was talking about Jesus. Jesus, yeah, the whole bread, bread thing, yeah. Um, Wow, that just took me on a total derail. Um, but if, if the devil can get to your identity and shakes who you are, then it will inevitably affect what you do. And so this is my heart today, is, is, is that we would be a church and people that, we, that would be so fundamentally secure in who we are and whose we are. Why? Because this is how it started for Jesus' ministry. So you can see 13 words. Everyone say 13 words. 13 words. I told you to say voice. We said voice. This is what the Father's voice said. This is my son. You know what that says? Acceptance. And remember, this was before Jesus did a thing. Whom I love, affection. With him, I am well-pleased. You know what that well-pleased is? I delight in him. Have you ever thought about that God delights in you? And I'm like, God, does, God doesn't just love you, he likes you. <laughs> he doesn't just have to love you. Like, he actually likes you. 13 words. This is my son. Everybody, everybody, everybody say that. This is my son, <laughs> whom I love. With him, I am well-pleased. Acceptance, affection, affirmation. Church, this is where you begin. My heart today is for you to get this. Church, you don't work for the acceptance of God. You don't obey for his affection. You don't serve him to get affirmed by him. This is where you start with him. Some of y'all, this is, this is like hearing Greek. This is like hearing a foreign language, because all you heard or taught in church growing up is you need to do something, pay something, give something, do something to get these from God. And that is not the good news. The good news is, is when you receive the love of God, this is where you begin. This is where you begin. I kind of feel like every preacher kind of has a life message where you'll kind of find how something just inevitably creeps up in every message they preach because <laughs> it's like they can't not say it. I really believe, for me, this is kind of what it is. 
I feel like I'm always going back to the fact that you are deeply loved by God, not for anything you've done or anything you will do, but it's simply where you begin with him. And it is the firm foundation that we build on, and it is the firm foundation that draws us in to actually change. So my heart and prayer today is that as we dive into this briefly, that you would be reminded of how deeply loved you are by God. Because here's the thing, when, when you start here, do you know what doesn't happen? Well, I have to do this for God to love, love, love me. You know what changes? Now it's your whole motivation changes from I have to go to church, I have to give, I have to do, I have to read my Bible, I have to do this, I have to, because you've got a fear-based love of God. Fear will change people for a little while, but fear will never change the heart. You know what changes the heart? Love. Because here's the thing, now if you start with love, you're not, earning your, you're not living your whole life to get it. Now you're living from it. So now it doesn't make it a, I have to. Now it's like, I get to. I get to give. I get to serve. I get to do these things, not to get anything from God, but because I'm already loved by him. This also changes even the way we think about correction. I've already told you all about how crazy churches were back in the day. I've told you all, like when Paul would write letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul would be writing stuff like, hey, just so you know, you shouldn't be sleeping with somebody in your family. Yep. Just a little reminder, church, church, church fam, no incest. Honestly, like this is the stuff he was writing. Because Greek practices, the Greek way of life was really influential. So the gospel would 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 kind of get, you know, would would kind of get planted, stuff would start to grow, churches would start to be planted. But although there were churches and people in the churches, they hadn't gotten real sanctified yet. They had taken some of those Greek practices and Greek ways of doing things and brought it into, into their following Jesus, and Paul would have to write him a good old letter. Hey, buddy, not looking good over there. I hear you're suing each other. <clears throat> Why should you go to a court to just establish what you could work out as a Christian? So he, so he would write, like, yeah, I hear you're getting drunk during communion. Wow, <laughs> not what I had in mind for the Lord's Supper, you know, like. But you know how Paul would start when he would bring these corrections? He wouldn't start with, you suck, you're terrible, by the way. It's like he would always start with their identity. Let me tell you about who you are. That, that's why he would start off like, you, you know, I'm praying for you. I love you. I, I, I love you. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are redeemed. Why? Because it's that identity that we need to be consistently reminded of. Because if we don't know who we are, we won't know what to do. Right? So, okay, I want to give you a couple thoughts on Christian identity. Number one, Christian identity isn't a spectrum. It's a secure foundation to build your life on. A lot of the world will tell you your identity shifts based on a lot of different factors. And it's kind of called a spectrum, where it's kind of like one, and it's, it's based on how you feel. My God, if we're basing our identity on how we feel, Jesus, God, it's going to be roller coaster faith, y'all. Right? 
I mean, it's like one day I feel this, another I feel this, and, and it's like we're just all over the place. But what having a Christian, like a, 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 a kind of like Jesus-like identity does for us, it gives us a solid foundation to build our life on. You know, you know think about it this, this you, know, you know, think about it this way. Jesus told this parable about building on a firm foundation and building on in, in, in or excuse me, building on rock and building on sand. And he was like, those who obey my teaching are like those who build on the rock. They are ones who build on a firm foundation. And then he said, there's going to be some that, that's going to build on sand. But what he says is that whether you're building on sand or whether you're building on rock, the thing is this. He says, when the storms come and when the winds blow. He doesn't say they're never going to blow. He doesn't say that there's never going to be storms. He says, when they happen, it will reveal what you're built on. And that is why, as we're building identity, as we build on Jesus and his words, inevitably you're going to have winds blow. You're going to have stuff that's going to want to knock you around in who you are. But if you're set and secure, and, and this is why knowing God's word is so important, because when Jesus responded back to Satan's claim, if you are the son of God, he didn't respond back with Dr. Phil. He didn't respond back, Oprah said. He didn't respond back, well, I heard on the Joe Rogan podcast. He said, it is written. He was able to defend the lies because he knew the truth. And one of the most important aspects of getting into God's word is learning about and becoming secure in who you are and whose you are. So when the winds blow of like, well, you're not enough, and you're not this, that, and the other thing, you're not responding back with, well, okay, and you're responding back with, with your own thoughts, you're able to respond back with, yeah, well, God says I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. It's a firm foundation. I remember hearing a story about a a preacher who was battling pornography and it was kind of something that would just like continually trip him up. He was actually about to be married and it was something in his life that kind of had a foothold and he was struggling and so he had tried different practical things and they didn't work so he said he wanted to have an accountability partner. So he said he called up his kind of like pastor friend and was just like, hey, I'm about to get married. I'm really struggling with pornography. I want to know if you could help me. And he was like, yeah man, definitely. And so Throughout this, this process, you know, he, he said there would be times where I would fall and, and I'd have to call him and I'd just say, hey, I, you know, I had a tempting moment. I gave in and I feel really shamed, you know, shameful about it. Um, and he said, when I would do that, <laughs> he said, the way that my accountability partner would react was completely different than what I thought he was going to react. Because he said, when I would call him up, I'd be so scared to let him know. And he said, I would let him know, hey, man. Gave him to temptation today. I failed. I'm so sorry. And he said, right as I would declare what I did, he said, my accountability partner would start to, to declare who I was. He, would, he said he wouldn't like say, oh, bro, I'm so sorry. He, was, he said he would just dive into, you are the righteousness of Christ. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He just said, instead of attacking what I did, he started to declare who I was. And he said, over time, he said, I actually started to believe him. <laughs> 
And he said, that became the seed for my healing. That became the seed for my freedom. Isn't when he just got, got in behavior management. It's when he got down into who he was and he actually started to believe it. And once he believed it, he actually started to walk it. There are things that you are struggling with that you have tried to behavior manage your whole life. And here's the thing, I am, and, and, and you know what is crazy? This concept is finally making its way into like the mainstream. Have you, read, have, have you seen that book, Atomic Habits? It's this book that just talks, we have an atomic habit. <laughs> wow, like, wow, I've never, <laughs> she clapped for the book, <laughs> yes, Atomic Habits, right? Like, the whole concept of the book is that the way you actually form habits is, is it becomes an identity. So what, it's, it's, it's practical, yes, but it actually goes into deeper than just the habit, but it goes into your identity, right, Cindy? That, that's the whole thing. Do you want to give us a book review? I'm just kidding. I can tell you're very passionate about it. But it is becoming one of the most popular books because its whole basis is the fact that you change not just by behavior, you change when you change your identity. And I'm, and I'm like, that's the gospel. That is literally the gospel. That is, we learn to become and learn more of who God says we are. We actually will, in some ways, learn to live up to it. It's actually crazy. Like I said, if you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, how will you fulfill God's will, right? So Romans 12 dives into this a little bit. Paul says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Everyone say transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. Do you see what happens before you know how to do God's will? Transform. There's a transformation that, that happens. There, there, there is this like, you are a new person, and because you are new, now you know what to do. See, I'm rhyming all up in this message today. If you knew, you know what to do. I mean, look at God. But also, too, Christian identity doesn't mean you lose yourself. I want to talk a little bit about this, because I think some, some people have thought if you follow Jesus, and when Jesus said, die to yourself, that that meant you could not be like who God has made you to be. And what I mean by that is, yes, there is a death that takes place, meaning your sinful nature has got to die where morally you change. But that does not mean your personality, your giftings, your passions have to die with it. What actually happens is, is since, it becomes, since you become purified, all of those passions you have and all of those things that God has wired you to do and like, they actually become redeemed and become more of who you were originally created and made to be. An example, right? Like when I got saved, and even now, like I, I am, I am a, a stuttering, per, like, like lover of Jesus who is stubborn as heck, that loves the church, hates math, loves sports, Right, like, like when, when I, and I haven't pretty much changed in about, since my whole life. This is kind of who I am, right? But what being a Jesus follower has done is it has taken who God made me to be 
and made it used for his glory instead of for destruction, right? I I could be a shady sales, sales, I can sell stuff. I could go and be a shady sales salesman. I could, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I could go and use these gifts that God has given me and, and use it against his kingdom and use it against his purposes. But God has redeemed me. So since he redeemed me, he can take who John Ware is and he can use me for the kingdom of God. And this is exactly, but this is what he wants to do for all of us here. See, here's the, thing. the goal is for you to become a sanctified, spirit-filled, Jesus-like version of you. Some of y'all are outgoing, some of y'all aren't. Some of y'all can fix anything. Some of y'all can't fix a daggone thing. That's just like me. I, I, I will talk, but I ain't fixing nothing. Like in my house, right, like my wife knows it. She's the one that fixes things. I destroy things. I break things. It's, 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 it's you know, it's kind of weird because honestly, like most guys are kind of like the, the guy. They don't like to be emotionally involved or they don't like to talk, but, but they can fix things, you know, and, I'm the total opposite. I'll talk all day. Let's dive into the emotional stuff. But fixing, no, I, I just, I'm going to call Ryan for, for that. Ryan, Ryan, you know, Ryan lives right around the street. And I was like, hey, Ryan, this is broke, man. What, you know, what do we have going on here? But, 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 like, you know, but that's what I'm saying. Like Jesus wants a sanctified, spirit-filled, Jesus-like version of you. Imagine if Jesus was you. What, man, I'm rhyming again. Imagine if Jesus was you, what, what would he do? If Jesus worked at the shipyard in your position, how would Jesus do your job? If Jesus was a therapist, how would Jesus be a therapist? If Jesus was a physical therapist, how would Jesus be a physical therapist? If Jesus drove a truck, how would Jesus drive a truck? If Jesus was a contractor, how would Jesus be a contractor? If Jesus was a baseball coach, how would Jesus be a baseball coach? Jesus is not looking for drones. He's not looking for little minions. Okay, Jesus wants sanctified, spirit-filled, Jesus-like versions of y'all. Not to lose all of, all of who you are, but to lose your sinful self so your redeemed self, your redeemed identity can make its way out through your unique personality, through your unique gifts, through your unique passions, through your, through your unique vocations. And this is how the Jesus message is spread is as we all individually and corporately become Jesus-like, spirit-filled versions of ourselves that are new creations. And, then that, and that's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. It says, if anyone's in Christ, and this is the amplified version, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted in, joined to him by faith and him as Savior, he is a new creature. He's a new creature, reborn, renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual conditional have passed away. Behold, new things have become, or uh, behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. This is what, as followers of Jesus, our identity, we are new in him, and then we learn to live up to who we already are. Now, what is the sign that you have a new identity in Christ? It's baptism. You, you see, Jesus got baptized, and as he came out, his, I, Jesus said, this is my son with whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Baptism is, 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 is the symbol that your identity has been shifted. Now, if you've been to church any amount of time, you know that some churches overemphasize baptism and some churches underemphasize baptism. Some churches say you need to be saved to be baptized. Like, you won't go to heaven unless you are baptized. And what I always respond back to them is, what about the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross, when he was on the cross, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Jesus did not say, uh, Roman soldier, I need to go baptize him real quick or he won't go to heaven. You know, like, he didn't do that. He said, you'll be with me in paradise, right? And, and, and so baptism ultimately is a symbol. Baptism is not something that makes you saved, but then some, some churches don't even care if you're baptized. And I think it's gotta be both. So, so I, I wanna give you a couple thoughts about baptism really, really quick. All right, first off, actually I wanna give you a couple scriptures quick. Um, Colossians 2. It says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Romans 6, 4, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new life. Do you hear the terminology in, in that? That basically baptism is when you go in the water, the water symbolizes a tomb, a coffin, that when you go down there, you, you are essentially putting the, the old sinful nature you there. And when you come out of the water, it is like a resurrection, like we celebrated last Sunday, Jesus resurrected. When you come out, out of the water, that is you coming out of your grave into your new identity as a follower of Jesus. It is a death to the old you and a resurrection of the new you in Christ. This is what baptism is. This is what it symbolizes. It starts in the heart, but baptism becomes the symbol. Three important truths about baptism really quick. Number one, baptism isn't the end, it's the beginning. It is wild how many people think baptism is like, okay, I've been baptized, I'm good, peace out. And y'all, do you know what is absolutely wild? And I say this not to judge no one, I say this not to be whatever, but we have had so many people at our church get baptized and dip. Like they get dipped and then they dip. Meaning, <laughs> meaning like we can't, like they, they disappear. Yeah. It's like, what in the world? Like what? And, 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 and I don't think, unfortunately, they understood or realized that when you get baptized, this is not the end. This is not the, okay, you're good thing. This is the, I'm new, let's go. I've got, a, I've got work to do. Because even you see, even when Jesus, before he was into his purpose and mission, got baptized. So when he got baptized, it was baptizing him into his purpose. This is something the baptism is. It's like once you get baptized, it's like, I am on Jesus' team. I got a mission. I got an assignment. Let go. What are we doing? Baptism isn't the end. It's the beginning. So I just want to say, like, if you're getting baptized today, we're we going to come searching for you if you dip, okay? You get baptized today and you leave? Come on, man. No, this is, this is the beginning of your journey. This is the beginning of your walk. This is the beginning. Secondly, though, baptism isn't salvation. It's the evidence of it. Right? It, it, you know, baptism isn't the saving work. It's, that's what Jesus did. Jesus did the same work. You can come up, Joseph. Like, like Jesus did this, this, the, the saving work. Baptism is just the whole, dec the whole declaration of saying, I have received it, I, I believe it, and I'm telling the world about it. So it doesn't save you, but it is a declaration. Lastly, baptism is the public expression of your personal commitment and covenant to follow Jesus. It's the public expression. 
of your personal, it's, it's a public expression of what the Lord, of what you've accepted and what the Lord has done in you. And really the best way that I can describe it is it's kind of like a wedding. It really is. Where really a wedding is simply an event, it's kind of a symbolic expression of kind of two people that come and covenant together. And what is the thing that they say at a wedding? Till, till death do us part. Basically saying, I am committed to you. I am committing to you. And, and, and really when, when you are baptized, that is what essentially baptism is saying. I am committing to you, Jesus. I, I, till death do I part, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And unfortunately, what I think happens with baptism some, sometimes is we get really selfish with it. We say, well, it's kind of a personal expression of becoming new. And it kind of becomes this almost like new, kind of like new age-ish thing where for us, it's a new beginning for us. Can I just say that's the furthest thing from what baptism is? It is a dying to the old you. It's not like a shower. I showered my soul. And it's got some, you know, magical properties that just shower your soul. No, it is a dying of the old you and a, raise, a resurrection of the new you. And we have to be careful of that. But it is, it is not about you. It's about dying to the old you so you can now live committed till death do you part for the God and King and Lord and Savior and example that died for you, but raised to life for you as well. So my heart and prayer today, I think there are some of, some of you here, like, you need to get baptized. We've, we've got people here that signed up to get baptized, but there are some of you here today, you came today and you didn't know you were getting baptized, but you're getting baptized. Why? Because the way I just explained baptism to you you might have gotten baptized when you were a young kid. You really didn't understand it, you know, and, or, or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus and you've never gotten baptized. I just want to let you know, today is your day. You're like, well, I don't have clothes. We brought them for you. We got shorts. We got shirts. We got underwear. Yeah, we got underwear. We got everything you need. We got some towels. We got everything. Every, everything. And what I would say is obey Jesus and get baptized. Do it. My, my heart today is, is that you, my heart for our church is that we would not be a church that shifts and changes in our identity based on so many different things. But we will be a church that is solid and secure on our identity based on the love that God has for us. How, how many of y'all have ever read the Message Bible? The Message Bible translation is kind of a paraphrased version. It's written by Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor up in DC, a really brilliant man. He passed away last year, and um, just a stinking, like, brilliant thinker. Could and I mean, like, read the Bible in Hebrew and Greek, and just a really brilliant, 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 brilliant man. And at his funeral, he had three sons, and um, you know, one of the things his son said was, "It's like I don't think people knew how simple Eugene Peterson was. They, they you know, they just read his writings, they read the paraphrased the Message Bible, and it was brilliant and really good." And, but they said, what, what he was to us was so simple. And they said he had one simple message for us. He said, this dude that knew so much about the Bible, this guy that just 
knew so much about scripture and God and, and the Bible. They said he had one simple message for us whenever he would put us to bed, whenever we were young. He said he would whisper in our ear every night. He said, God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. And when I heard those words, it really hit my heart because when I, when I think about my three sons and what I've told them from, I mean, even when I start to say it to them now, they stop me and they're like, Dad, we know. We know, Dad. My seven-year-old is saying that. But what I've always told them is, son, I love you. And I, I love you not because of what you've done or won't do. I like, I love you. And be, be, because I like, or, you know, I, I say like, there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you more or to make me love you less. I love you. Because I don't want them to live their whole life wanting my approval. How many of you have tried to live your whole life to just get your dad's, I see you? To get your dad's, I love you. To get your dad's, to get your dad's approval. And I don't want my sons living with that. I want them to know their identity to me is secure. They are my sons whom I love and I'm well pleased with them before they do anything, good or bad, I, lo I love them. And when, when, I heard, when, when I heard Eugene Peterson say that, I was just like, this is, this is what, simply, I, you know, this is what our church needs to hear. And this is the solid foundation church that we can build our identity on. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And church, this is where we begin. This is the good, this is the good news. This is where we begin. And my heart is that our church, we, we, we wouldn't live our whole lives trying to get the approval from a God that we already have because it's gonna make following him laborious. Jesus said, come unto me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. Following him is not easy. I'm not saying it is, but at the same time, we start from a place of acceptance and love. But John, that doesn't make sense, I know. That's not fair. I know. That's why it's called grace. Can it be abused? Absolutely. But that's why we have to be careful. But just because we have to be careful doesn't make it true. So, my prayer is that you'd respond to the love of God today and receive your identity. You know, I, I believe some of you today, you need to be reminded of who you are in Christ. Some of you today, though, you need to respond and receive the love of God today. Anyway, would you stand up with me, church? We're going to pray and we're going to respond. Worship team, you can come up. And... If you would just bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word that is true and righteous and Lord, that is our food for our soul. And I just pray, God, that, 
Lord, we would, for those here today, God, that struggle in their identity, I pray today, God, that, Lord, that, that, that you would reassure them of who you are and whose they are. Lord, that we start from a place of acceptance, affirmation, and approval. Lord, so many people here have lived their whole life for an approval they already have. So God, I just, I just pray that, that, that today they would receive it. They would receive it today. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed, every, you know, mostly every single Sunday, I give you the opportunity to respond love of God, because really that's what it is. The scripture says, for God so loved the world. This is the most basic verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He's a giver. God's a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. And you know what? We sh- how we should respond when somebody wants to give us something? We should just receive it. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. If you've never just received the love of God today, I just want to invite you to do that with every about, every eye closed, the way we do it at our church, is we just say yes to where if you want to receive the love of God today, and maybe that's weird to you because you, you know, maybe you've been in church or maybe you, you know, but, but you, you don't ever remember the moment of just, I'm loved by God and I receive that today. And in return, you give your life back, back to him. I want to give you that opportunity today. And just when I count to three, if that's you, I just want you to say yes. That's the way we do it here. And I believe that as you say yes, what ends up happening is that you open your heart to receive God's love in you, to you through Jesus Christ. So just when I count to three, just say yes. Ready? One, two, people here. And what I'm going to ask us is, I'm just going to pray, and for those of you that said yes, I want you to just repeat this prayer after me, but I'm going to just ask all of us here to repeat the prayer as well, just to, you know, just to kind of be in synergy and unity with those that said yes today. Um, yeah, because all I want to do is take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand. So if you said yes today, but also to would all of us here join in and, and let's, let's welcome love of God into some people's lives today. Ready? Pray this after me. Jesus, I receive your love. And in response to that love, I give you all of me, not a compartmentalized version of me, but my heart, my soul, my mind, and my spirit. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sins giving me a new identity as a child of God. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, You can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.